The scripture lesson, the book of Acts, first chapter, beginning at the first verse. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, he after that he, through Numahegion, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with Numahegion not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that Numahegion has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, have seen him go into heaven. That's Acts 1, 1 through 11. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we're truly grateful for everything you do for us. We consider the gift of your word our greatest blessing. Your Son, the source of salvation and daily help and guidance. Would you pray that as we study this morning that you be with us, that we might be led to right conclusions, that we might receive instructions for our lives that will help us uh, daily in these closing days of the age. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you re remember the letter that I received from George Towns, attorney, in which he talked about our our church. Church is interested in the second coming and, is, and therefore in prophecy, as I think would be quite consistent with the point of view stated above. It is interesting to find after all these centuries of Hellenistic or Greek constraints that the Bible still has the power to recreate the atmosphere Jewish messianic apocalyptic which the first disciples probably breathed. So with that in mind I want to talk today about the kingdom of God messianic apocalyptic. All of us knew John Thompson and Irene. First time I ever met him they came to our house 
And we visited a little bit, and then he said, Brother Farrell, I want you to talk to me about the kingdom. He said, I was a Methodist minister, and the kingdom was not part of the priorities in our church because we believed we went immediately to our reward at death. So, talk to me about the kingdom. And so we we talked, uh, just started much like I did recently in talking about the kingdom of God being a subject of history, having a present aspect and a, a future aspect, but that it was so important. In fact, it is the theme of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But it was extremely important <coughs> uh, to the early church. Uh, we know they were disappointed when Jesus was crucified. They were overjoyed when he was raised. They also did not probably wish to see him go away. But as we read here in Acts 1, <coughs> while they looked up as he went up to heaven, the angel stood by and said he's going to come again. The same Jesus is going to come again and, uh, to this earth. So he talked about the second coming. He talked about the future kingdom of God. So this, uh, the, the first century church uh, did not expect uh, the kingdom of God to immediately appear because you remember in Luke 19 among others he told a parable about the nobleman who went into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return after a long time he, he told them this because they thought that the kingdom of God would immediately appear and so he was <clears throat> trying to show them that, that it was not going to the kingdom is, as we, we noticed in our former study, that the kingdom is in abeyance now. It's being held back. The king is absent. And so the kingdom of God is, is not here. Um, I'm sorry, but the Jehovah's Watchtower people are wrong. The kingdom is not here now. They said it is, but it isn't, uh, because when we consider all of the different <coughs> blessings and the conditions of the kingdom age, we know it's not here now. But the uh, kingdom of God is so important in the Greek scriptures, which we many people call the New Testament. The word kingdom occurs 161 times. It occurs 72 times, kingdom of God. And it occurs 32 times, kingdom of heaven. And uh, this expression, kingdom of heaven, occurs only in Matthew. And uh, when you compare Matthew with Luke and Mark and John, the same texts in those other books call it Kingdom of God. But another uh, <coughs> meaning of uh, kingdom might be sovereignty. The sovereignty or rule of heaven. In fact, Brother McLean got so, instead of calling it the Kingdom of God, he called it the Reign of God. Same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are the same. It doesn't say kingdom in heaven, but it is the kingdom of heaven in which heaven rules or God rules. When you take your concordance and go through uh, the New Testament, you find in Matthew 3 that John the Baptist came in the desert preaching 
repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or kingdom of God is at hand and he baptized people and when Jesus was baptized in the fourth chapter of Matthew first thing he preached was repent or reform for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and uh, when you go through the gospels you find that Jesus gave dozens of parables having to do with the kingdom it's like a treasure hidden in a field is like a pearl of great price. It's like a mustard seed that grows and becomes a, a great sized uh, shrub. And uh, over and over he, he talked about it. And then you, you consider, uh, say, Matthew 24, Luke 17, Mark 13, when he when they was talking about, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? He gave all of the signs pertaining to the kingdom of God. In the 25th of Matthew, he said, When the Son of Man comes in the clouds of heaven, then he said, Before him is going to be brought all the nations. So the kingdom of God is, in, in Jesus' preaching, is, is premier. And when he sent the twelve out, he sent them out to, to preach the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, 1 and 7. When the twelve went out, they preached that the kingdom of God was coming. Then he sent out, chose and sent out seventy. We don't hear about the seventy nearly as much as we do about the twelve. But the, the, the seventy were beside the twelve apostles. So when you get over in Luke 10, the first verse, he said, After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he would afterward come. And in the ninth verse he said, Heal the sick. They're therein, say unto them, The kingdom of God is come near unto you. So you see, John the Baptist preached it, Jesus preached it, the twelve preached it, the seventy preached it. This is all in the Gospels. But then when you get into the Acts, the first thing that we're faced with in, in this particular portion is, is the portion we read for you that after Jesus' suffering, uh, he was with them 40 days, uh, showing himself alive by all these unfailing proofs. And, this is the last part of the third verse of Acts 1. Speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus' last time together with the disciples uh, during the 40 days after his resurrection, he talked to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So it was natural then, when you get down to the sixth verse, <clears throat> when they were come together, they asked him, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? This was a wonderful question, and it's one that we've bounced off of many times because it, it shows that Israel was the kingdom in its time. And God's ruler sat on God's throne over Israel. And, uh, but we know that they became wicked, and God finally removed took the crown off, 
removed the diadem and he overthrew it until he would come who was right it is and he would give it to him. So you see that uh, they were looking for the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And so here you at well, what, we're, what I'm trying to bring out here is how important the kingdom message was. That he would talk 40 days, his last 40 days on earth, he would talk to them about the kingdom and they asked about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. So when you get over in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we have Philip the deacon, one of the seven deacons that were appointed to take care of the serving of the tables at Jerusalem. He went to Samaria and preached Christ. And when they believed him, verse 12, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and they of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you see, this was the message. I'll never forget it. We had a man, I'm not going to name him, he's been long dead. But he kind of shot himself in the foot. Uh, he gave a paper at the ministerial conference in which he uh, talked about the message and he just felt that the kingdom wasn't the message. The message was just Jesus Christ. But you have to be blind to o overlook texts like that. Uh, them preaching the, the, the things concerning the kingdom of God. And, and as you go on in Acts, where, after you get into the Pauline part where Paul became the central figure, that's what he preached all the time. He didn't preach a gospel of Jesus Christ as such and by itself. He preached the kingdom and Jesus. So, uh, and in fact, he even said in the 14th chapter of Acts, 22nd verse, <clears throat> we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. He was there confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith when he was at Antioch. And uh, you get over when in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts when Paul was at Ephesus and uh, there at the 8th verse he went into the synagogue at Ephesus and spake boldly for the space of three months <clears throat> disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. These were these were uh, people who were believers as such but they had only been baptized in the baptism of John had not been baptized into the baptism of Jesus Christ they had not heard whether there were any such thing as spiritual gifts and uh, in fact uh, we, we go on here in the 10th verse and it says he continued by the space of two years so that all that dwell in Asia heard the words of the Lord both Jews and Greeks in other words, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God was not just a Jewish gospel. It was for Jews and Gentiles. And uh, in other words, it was good news to them, good news to the Gentiles as much as it was to the Jews. So his gospel was the same wherever he went. In fact, in the 20th chapter, and there at the 25th verse, He says, And now behold, 
He, he, he was talking to the elders of Ephesus as he was going by. <clears throat> and he said, Now behold, I know that ye all, <clears throat> among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. 24th verse, it talks about the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, 21st verse, he talks about how he preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, but he preached the kingdom. This was the most important message that Paul had that he preached to Greeks and Jews and the church, of course, uh, pertaining to the, to the kingdom of God. There was no change in message. Message was the same all the way through, seamlessly, uh, from the Jewish church to the Gentile church. <laughs> in fact, you get to the last chapter of the book of Acts, the last picture we have of Paul after he had appealed to Caesar and they had sent him to Rome to be tried. It was kind of like a supreme court. When they surrendered him to the Supreme Court, they let him live in his own hired house in Rome. And uh, it says that, that he lived in his own hired house and he, he received everybody that came to him. And what did, what did he talk about? The 23rd verse. When they appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. They have that twofold message. Kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Down here at the 30th and 31st verses, last verses of the book of Acts, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So his message was, was that all the way through uh, Acts 1 to Acts 28. The message is the kingdom. So when you get into the epistles or the letters which make up the biggest part of, of, the, of the New Testament, you find the kingdom over and over. I'm not going to turn to these. I'll just kind of refer to them. Uh, Romans 14:17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And these are three uh, sh shall nots. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, and 10. Galatians 5, 21, and Ephesians 5, 5. He's talking about bad things that people did. He said, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> so in other words, the kingdom of God was the message. How can you inherit it? By having the fruits of the Spirit and not following the, the lust of the flesh and the works of the flesh. <clears throat> Colossians, the fourth chapter, he talked about his fellow workers unto the kingdom of God. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he said he's called you into his kingdom. 2 Thessalonians 1 5. Uh, waiting for the kingdom of God, or counted worthy of the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 4 1 talks about 
Jesus appearing and the kingdom, putting them together. Uh, he didn't come secretly in 1914. Kingdom of God is coming with Jesus. And so it talks about his appearing and his kingdom. James 2.5 talks about us being heirs of the kingdom. It would not make any sense to say one is an heir of the church. The church and the kingdom are not the same. We're in the church now. We're in a training school for the kingdom of God. But uh, someday we will be heirs of the kingdom. Second Peter 1.11, he talks about the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And even over in Revelation, <clears throat> there, 11th chapter, 15th verse, he said, Finally, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. To me, <clears throat> it is just so emphatic and so strong that even when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. He said in Matthew 6, After this manner pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth, even as it is done in heaven. So you see that that is uh, very important. And the fact that we do not have it here now is the reason we pray for it. We all... You've all heard me so many times, but the kingdom of God is an actual government. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 talks about Jesus, the government being upon his shoulder. Daniel 2 talks about the succession of world empires which will be overthrown and broken to pieces by the stone which is the kingdom of God. It fills the whole earth and will stand forever. When you go into the kingdom, you find definitely it is an actual government. It will have a king. It will have co-rulers. It will have subjects. It will have laws. It will have territories. Uh, everything that constitutes what makes a real kingdom will be part of the kingdom of God. And all those wonderful texts like Isaiah 35 talking about how God will restore the earth to its original Edenic condition in what is called the restitution. Desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. How in the desert water will spring up. And all the different things. And I have been very familiar with the deserts, been around the deserts all my life in California. And I have seen the desert watered by winter rains and see it miles and miles and miles as far as the eye can see with flowers. That's what the, the deserts of the world are going to become in the kingdom of God when it is uh, go, undergoes the great restitution of all things. It talks about peace in the animal kingdom. No man being lame or dumb or blind. Resurrection of the dead. Eternal life. Peace uh, on earth. All these things are part of the kingdom. And we don't have them now. We don't have those conditions now. Uh, so therefore, that, that's the reason we, we, we pray for it. 
Before the curse, there was no sin, sickness, or disease, or death. When that's done away, there won't be any. There won't be those things. So it's going to be a wonderful time. I remember very well one of our Ohio pastors who was on a sabbatical and he took that time to go around and visit our churches. He said, Terry, in the, the months that I traveled around and attended our different churches, I never heard a sermon on the kingdom of God. He said, isn't that sad? Never heard a sermon on the kingdom of God. Most important topic in the whole Bible. And yet, he never heard a sermon on it. To me, it is to realize that the kingdom is the answer to this world's problems. Uh, it's, there's, just, there's no other answer. I, I look at the present problems in the Middle East. Uh, I think it's terrible. In fact, just yesterday they announced a new initiative to try to get Israel to give up all of the land that they took in the 67 war. That means East Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall, all these places that are so precious to Israel. They're saying, give them up for peace with the Palestinians. And I keep saying to myself, all this bombing, every day somewhere in this world, bombing by Muslims. Uh, what's the answer to it? Kingdom of God. I hate to say it. I don't know. There's no earthly human answer to these things because it, it just there is none. And the coming of Jesus and the establishment of the kingdom of God is is the only answer. We we are everything you read, just like the the guy that uh, the bombed the CIA people over Afghanistan. He said we sh they should have jihad against the United States. Punish the United States. He hated the United States. Expect lots more bombings. Expect lots more trouble uh, here. In fact, uh, we look for it. But it's the kingdom of God is the, is the only answer. One of the things that I see, in fact, there was an article in the last Restitution Herald, Progress Journal, <coughs> in which... The author, yes, talked about God, but his last words were, live the abundant life now. That is one of the things that curtails the importance or lessens the importance of the kingdom of God. Just like going to heaven at death makes the kingdom unimportant, to have the abundant life now makes the kingdom of God unimportant. Uh, in fact, that text, where it seems to indicate that there is an abundant life, says you will have life and abundance. There's not a single uh, new translation that talks about the abundant life there in John. Uh, that's, that's not the message. He says you shall have life and shall have abundance. They're not together. It isn't an abundant life. It's not. I know a lot of people. In fact, I think our general conference uh, wants to live the abundant life. They took the students to Florida for spring break. 
even though they're broke. And they're having a women's retreat in Florida in April. They, they are renting high-rise buildings for thousands of dollars a month and they're just living this abundant life. Now, why should the kingdom of God come? It's, um, I think it is one of the reasons why people may not want the kingdom to come. I am not one of those. I am one of those that would say, do it today. If it is your will, do it today. Anything I hope to do or be or am, I will give up for the kingdom of God. So let us, as first century Christians, that's what I like to consider myself, as first century Christians, to see of supreme importance the kingdom of God, the message of the kingdom of God, and of obtaining the kingdom of God, and obtaining an entrance into it. I hear so many people talking about how important position will be in the kingdom of God. I said, come off of it. Just to get in there is my aim. Not a position I might have in the kingdom of God as a king or a priest or something else. Uh, David said he'd rather be a, just a doorkeeper in the house of his God than to enjoy all these pleasures of sin. So I, the way I feel about the kingdom of God, that it is so important that if we miss it, we've missed all. And there's nothing that should take us to take our eyes off of that, that goal of being a part of the kingdom of God. We do pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth, even as it being done in the heavens. So come, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Let us say in conclusion,